Terry Lindegard. Got the car? You bet. Brand new burnt umber Sierra. You want your own wife kidnapped. Her dad, he's real well off. So why don't you just ask him for the money? <laughs> See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Uh, wait, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's my wife. We gotta talk. It's something for Jeez. It's terrible. Sure that I agree with you 100% on your police work there, Lou. I think that vehicle there probably had dealer plates. Jeez. DLR? No, they said no cops. Here's the second one. So we got a trooper pull someone over. Is this a new car then, sir? Oh, it certainly is, officer. Still got that smell. There's a high-speed pursuit. We got a shooting. And then this execution-type deal. Million dollars, a lot of damn money. They got my daughter. Hiya, hi. Breakfast and lunch, Margie. What are those, nightcrawlers? Oh, yeah, looks pretty good. Sounds cheap. Who's Jean? My wife. <laughs> 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 well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. You were having sex with a little fella then. Yeah. Mr. Lundegaard, you mind if I sit down? Trying quite a loader. Where's Jerry? Where's your damn money? Now, where's my daughter? Jeez. What has been shit? We don't want the entire 80,000. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. You have no call to get snooping with me. I'm just doing my job here. What do you fellas got yourself mixed up in? Police! So, is there anything else you can tell me about him? He wasn't circumcised. Oh, yeah? Except. Okay. Here we are, Bill. We're going to okay. talk about Fargo. It's recording right now. All right. I don't want to do any editing and post. No. So we got to be draft, like... Last draft, get it out the door. First draft, last draft, get it out the door. Yeah. Um, 2020 rewatch of Fargo for maybe the... I mean, if I was exaggerating, I would say the millionth time. But how many times have I seen this movie? 30? 30 times? I've probably seen it at least <clears throat> I've probably seen it about ten times myself. Oh, ten? Yeah, I'd say ten okay. ish. Yeah. yeah. Where where is Fargo, the nineteen ninety six film by the Coen Brothers? Where does it rank for you in the um list of Coen Brothers movies? Well it's definitely top it's a top tier Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Like I it's definitely yeah, it's top tier. Um it belongs with Big Lebowski, Serious Man, Inside Lewin Davis, Miller's Crossing for me. You you put Inside Lewin Davis way way high up there, huh? Yeah, I do. I really like Inside. <clears throat> well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it eventually. <clears throat> Hopefully, well, maybe maybe our Coen Brothers series will be back on track now that we're at home. Literally yeah, all the time. I here I propose a I propose a format change okay. to the to the thing. I forgot our ranking system, so let's ditch the ranking system. If only there was some way to go back and re-listen to some of our old... <laughs> I'm not doing that. Okay. First draft, last draft, get it out the door. I mean, right. it's a, this is an evolving conversation. Yeah, we can do what fine. we want. That's true. <clears throat> that's true. Um, so, so it's... Just to set the context, here, here we are, April 2020. Mm-hmm. Everybody's quarantined in yeah. real life. Yeah, Missouri finally went to a stay-at-home order. Oh, oh we're... Starting Monday morning at twelve oh one a.m. So, starting this coming Monday morning. Yeah. Wow, they're real late on the game, huh? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Minute- you know, it's funny. The so the the richest man in Missouri lives in Joplin. 
He's a he's a business owner called David Humphreys, who makes roofing supplies like shingles. And he's the richest man in Missouri, and he has a lot of political power. And he's like the he's like a fundamentalist libertarian. Um, oh, that's a interesting combo, I guess. Well, I I, I don't know what uh, fundamentalist <laughs> in terms of the libertarianism. I see. Um, I don't know what his religious views are, but uh, anyway, um, there was some there were some rumors that he he himself personally was pressuring the uh, um, the governor not to do any stay at home order, and um, the uh, the weird thing about it is is Joplin's mayor was under a lot of pressure to do a stay at home order, and there was this petition that got like six thousand signatures on it. And he finally caved and announced that Joplin was going to go to a two-week stay-at-home order. Within a couple hours of Joplin issuing the order, the whole state issued the order, mm. which <clears throat> lends some credence to the conspiracy theory that it was this local billionaire that, who was the holdup. Hmm. But he's the kind of guy who, who believes that the government should basically do nothing. I mean, he thinks there, there should be no role for the government at all except protecting private property. And he... Um, for example, what I've heard is that if any kind of nonprofit organization or arts organization ever goes to his company or him for and asks for a donation for something, he'll ask them, does your organization get any public funding at all? Oh, and if boy. you say yes, he says, well, you already oh, have man. my donation. Uh, I mean, <laughs> all right. Yeah, anyways. well. So, so right. that, so that's so what's what going that on. What does that have to do with Fargo? <laughs> well, that's going on in Missouri and here yeah. in Minnesota, which does have to do with Fargo. So, here in Minnesota and Twin Cities, we've been at a stay-at-home order for two and a half weeks, something like that. Two weeks, maybe just two. Um, and yeah, that's the context that we're watching the 1996 film mm -hmm. Fargo mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. I think I first watched this movie three years after it came out, 99. When okay. did you see it for the first time? I probably, I, I know I did not see it in the theater, but I feel like I saw it not too long after it came out on home video. So I probably okay. saw it in 97 or 98 for the first time. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... So when it when it came out, um, the it won. Um, it got an, uh, a nomination for best picture. Mm -hmm. Frances McDormand won won the Academy Award for best actress. Right, and Cohen's Cohen Brothers won the Academy Award for best original screenplay. And it didn't win best picture. Uh, no, it, it got nominated. Oh, what one best them. picture that year? Um, let's take a look. Uh, that was '96, right? Yeah. Let me do some quick, some quick internet searching. 1996. So we're talking um, about the 69th. No, the English Patient. Oh yeah, the English Patient. Yeah, that seems like something they would give best picture to. Yeah, that's an. No that's wait. A... Uh. Oh, it was okay. I was looking at the previous year because the previous year, um, Braveheart won Best Picture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're looking at '97 awards. Yeah. Yeah, the awards <clears> that <throat> took place in 1997 for the yes. films of 1996. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Got it. Um, 
which I think is kind of Francis McDormand like absolutely deserves an Academy Award, but mm-hmm. for some reason, thinking about the the Oscars, this doesn't seem like something they would give an Oscar to for some mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. You know, it seems yeah. it when rewatching it, it it still remains like. It feels like a movie that's always been in my consciousness, but it kind of feels like an indie movie. Mm-hmm. A lot, yeah. lot of it is indoors and in a car and just doesn't feel grandiose, really. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it had mm. a huge budget. It, the budget was $7 million, and the box office return was $60.6 million. So it did Dang. really well in terms of return on investment. But it certainly yeah. wasn't a blockbuster or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so and Frances McDormand is, interestingly is she's in two thirds of the movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. that was one of the things I thought of when on this viewing, as my cats are attacking each other in the background. She doesn't show up until about 32 minutes into the movie. I, I noted the time also. I was, I was looking like, at the clock. It takes a longer for her to show up than I remember in this film. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's, right? it, 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 you know, uh, I was watching it and I was thinking, I wonder how much, <laughs> the, the, prob- the answer is probably none, but I wonder how much Law and Order influenced their pacing. Because it's really kind of a law and order type of setup if you elongated, you know, the way law and order starts, you see the crooks, the crime happens. Uh huh. Or actually, that's not, that's the way criminal intent works. But, but, you know, they always, they preface everything with that and then they start to get into to the solving of the thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, my dog is whining like, like, we didn't just go on a walk and get fed, and it's so distracting right now. He, uh, he, uh, he's still settling into the new place. Yeah, I don't know what is going on. My dog is sitting quietly on the couch like a good boy, but Humboldt is alternately looking out the window at the robins in the yard and also attacking poor old Seiji. So that's it- the sounds in the background here. It is really hard for me to carry a thought when this dog is whining at me. So mm. apologies. Yeah, that's okay. Um, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, she won Best Actress, and she's in two thirds of the movie. Yeah. Um, but she is the you know she is the star of the film. Yeah, and for sure. And what I was uh, what I was noticing too is sort of how she is definitely like the precursor to Tommy Lee Jones's character. Just like their little, the little quips and interactions, and um, uh, meaning Tommy Lee Jones's character in No Country for Old Men. So that brings up another interesting point, where um, Emily and I were watching the movie yesterday. She was it was in the workday, so she had to sort of pop in and out. But <clears throat> she said um, it was a scene between Marge and her husband Norm, and she said, "Is this the best marriage in any Coen Brothers movie?" Yeah. And I was trying to think and I was like, yeah, I think it is. There's no there's no other marriage quite as happy as this one. And I thought, well, maybe Sheriff Ed Tom Bell and his wife in Obra- in No Country for Old Men, but it doesn't get nearly the amount of screen time. No. Um, but they, they a sense of you don't get a sense of his wife the way that you get a sense of Norm. 
yeah, uh, Norm Norm is is in um at least five different scenes that I can yeah. think of. Right. Yeah. And um and yeah, uh Ed Tom's wife is in maybe two. Maybe two, yeah. I can't remember. I think I re definitely remember her at the end of No Country um when he's retired. Uh oh, Bill's got some there's this lady that there's this lady walking through rather than walking down the street she's walking through the yards like all the yards it's just kind of weird she's protesting the fact that that missourians don't have sidewalks yeah that's probably right my neighborhood doesn't have sidewalks for some stupid reason so i mean i don't really care um but it's just yeah. kind of weird it seems anyways um yeah I and and also here's a question: Is Francis McDormand's character the most, um, the female character with the most agency and respectability in any Coen Brothers movie? It's true, yeah, it's true. Because mostly their movies are about men. I mean, mm -hmm. it's mostly about <clears throat> the neurotic American male for the most neurotic part. white dudes. Yeah, that's 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 the vast majority uh, of their of their work, and they. Well, it's like they wrote one really great female character, and they that blew their whole wad on that on Marge. <laughs> so, so the other one that we could say is up there is the character from True Grit. Um, she's because she's very strong-headed and and has a lot of agency, but mm -hmm. she's not an she's not an adult. So right, and also she's of, not an original character either. I mean, they inherited that. Character. Yeah. Yeah, true. They did true. put their own spin on it for sure, though. True. Yeah. Yeah, but she's a strong female character. But but even so, there's like an aspect of cute of like cutesiness. Mm -hmm. Um. What if you were to take, um, if you were to try to describe, what like the distilled Coen Brothers, um, ness is. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. somebody's never seen a, a Coen Brothers movie before, mm -hmm. and then you you might say, "Well, you either will like this movie or you will not like this movie." Mm -hmm. But there's probably no in between because some people just have no tolerance for mm -hmm. the Coenness of movies. Right. But what if we were to distill those factors down? What would those <laughs> factors be? That's a good question. It's like I was trying to I was trying to think of <laughs> did you hear him? Did yeah. he come over the speakers? Yeah, that was the dog. Um I was trying to think of what those factors would be. It's like it's like if you took characters that should be in a screwball comedy mm -hmm. but placed them in um a very dramatic, yeah, like very mm -hmm. dramatic vi sometimes violent movies. Yeah. That's true. I'd say that's true. I think it's also I think another thing about the Coens this I think the another thing about them is the um extremely specific language that people use. Mm, Characters yes. speak in extremely specific language and use extremely specific words. And I think it comes from so I think that some of the Coens dialogue is very fast-paced and one might almost wonder if certain things are improvised but i don't think it's improvised at all i think it no. is i think they micro engineer the dialogue 
down to every last um and ah. Like they even, I think, micro-engineer the the sort of the kind of verbal tics and things. I, I agree. And I think that I think that um, I think that if you uh, if 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 you're hyper attuned to that and don't like it, that's something that you could be turned off by. You yeah, you might be like, why are they repeating everything, right? Because. Mm -hmm. um, uh jerry with his we're doing all we can here we're doing yeah. all we can ma'am that's right i answered your question yep that's true <laughs> there's repetition of dialogue repetition of phrases and um, and people repeating phrases that other characters have said yep. in the movies that that's more a lebowskiism i think yeah than but it a happens Fargo in a lot of them it happens yeah. in a lot of them um uh what else is there there's like um, a borderline there's like a matter of factness to violence sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually kind of one thing I was kind of paying attention to in this upon this viewing of Fargo is actually there's more score than I remembered. Um, obviously, it's got yeah. the main theme. It's got that violin theme, which is really, really memorable. But it does actually bring in a lot of score for the more dramatic moments, like when the state trooper gets killed, when they're chasing down the witnesses. There's a lot of there's more like dramatic movie film score in those moments than I remembered there having been. I, I guess in my memory, those dramatic moments played out in Fargo, kind of like they play out in No Country for Old Men, where like no, uh, where like no um, score happens in No Country for Old Men at all. Mm -hmm. I guess I had sort of retroactively imposed my memory of the like what no country for old men is like on to Fargo. I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, that's not really a criticism. I don't think that Fargo is one of those movies where the score is too much and like hitting him in the face, but it was more conventional movie score ish than I kind of remembered it being. Yeah. They, I, they, I, I agree. Yeah. They, they relied on it to, to imply tone where I think in other, in other movies, they assume that you get the tone. Yeah. So, like, I sort of have it playing right now while while we're talking, and um, the shot where they had they zoom in on the Paul Bunyan statue at night, and then kind of pan down, and in the movie, it's got this very like dramatic kind of music. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, um, whereas I think maybe in No Country they would have just let the they would have just let the the statue be as is, perhaps. Right. You know. Right. I also think that another characteristic of the Coens is um, when they're doing dramas. I feel that when they're doing dramas, I feel that they try to make the characters more or less realistic. I, I would say that the characters in Fargo are on the outer edge. Of realistic right see what I mean is like I think that they do seem like plausibly real people but they got it all the way to the edge right like if, if Marge Gunderson or Jerry Lundegaard or or Carl Showalter that's Steve Buscemi's right character I believe so yeah anyway, yeah if, if so. any of them were two like one degree more uh, colorful in the way that they're portrayed it would have been over the line into unbelievability. Mm -hmm. They found mm -hmm. it 
They, they, they like pushed it <clears throat> just up to the line and stopped. And I think that's true for most of their dramas. They go yeah. all the way to the end. They go all the way to the line, but not over. Whereas yeah. in their comedies, they don't give a shit. They go over the line. They go way over. It, everybody's a, a caricature. Yeah. In their like comedies, a... they don't try to restrain it at all. Right. And I bet that that is also a quality that people will, you'll either, you'll either latch onto it or not, you yeah. know, that, that like, why is this guy like this? You know, you might be used to more um, middle of the road performances from, right. from um, um, crime movies where it, there's a little bit more exposition. I mean, that's the other thing about Fargo is they, and other Coen brothers movies is they, they leave a lot of things unexplained. It, yeah. th- correct me if I'm wrong, but Jerry, we never find out what Jerry wants that money for. No, we don't. And that's a question, I, a plot <clears throat> question I had for you. The yeah. whole thing with the missing serial numbers, like that guy keeps calling him and is like, I can't read the serial numbers on yeah. the vehicles you took the loan against. Is that about the original reason he needs the money? Or is that about how he made the, cu- the, the, the Sierra go missing? I think it's unclear. Yeah, I think it's yeah, unclear. Well, it could because, be he has multiple <clears throat> he has multiple fiascos going on. I think so cuz he borrowed $350,000. Yeah. And then it and then he's trying to get a million more from yep. Wade. Right. And he's and he is um only telling um Steve Buscemi and and um oh, the guy's name escapes me. The the Guy other actor. Brisbane. Peter, Peter Stomar, man. Yeah. That he's telling them that he only is getting eighty thousand, but they'll get forty. Right. Um yeah. so yeah, I was wondering about that too. Like Yeah, what are we it, meant to think it is? Gambling, I, probably? Gambling well, addiction or something? Well well, here's the thing is is it purely so that he can buy that lot? Yeah. Because that's what he was going to Wade for the the money for in the first place, and then once he got that meeting with Wade, he then told um, he then told the two mm-hmm. of them, actually call it off. I don't need it. You know, he goes to talk to Shep, and right. Shep says, oh, "I can't get a hold of him." He was trying right. to call it all off at that point. So maybe the just the the main goal for him was to get that lot, and then he would feel like he was secure and not relying on his father-in-law who doesn't give a shit right yeah it could be could be he just wanted to to sort of declare independence but that doesn't but that doesn't really i mean it's possible but i get the sense that he's just it in a way it would make the most sense because he that it would have like a sort of tragic poeticness right to have kind of a pure motive of Mm -hmm. like hey i just want to be independent and it's leading me down this road as opposed to Oh, I'm gambling. Oh, I'm this and that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Does Jerry strike you as the kind of guy that's like going to racetracks and stuff? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, it seems like he wouldn't. I mean, because he couldn't. I, well, you could gamble on Indian reservations in Minnesota. I mean, he could be going off to the, you know, to the Indian casinos. He probably is not going to Vegas. Doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But he could mm-hmm. be driving up the. Driving up I-35. Yeah, if you go when you go north of the Twin Cities on I-35, you you eventually you can see a gigantic. I can't remember about where it is, but there's this gigantic casino you can see right off the freeway. Uh, yeah, so, no, yeah. That, I, I kind of imagine he, that's where he's going. Maybe uh, getting into the huge amounts of debt. 
But, yeah. Uh, oh, did you did did you remember from the Fargo TV series if they ever explain any of this? Like, I know the the money comes into play mm-hmm. where he buries the money and sticks the ice scraper in it. Yeah, because somebody finds it, right? Oliver <clears throat> Oliver Platt's character finds it. Who's like this immigrant from from Greece, and then he uses that money to open up the chain of grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's an, another connection to Fargo <clears throat> season three is that it's a parking lot that the whole the whole the whole criminal enterprise is a parking lot. That's right. That and parking that, lot. That parking lot, and that's a connection in its way to, of course, a serious man with that parking lot. Um, yeah. Emily looked up uh, when Fargo season four was going to come out. I did supposed, too. Yeah, it was supposed to come out next week, but now it's been indefinitely delayed. Yeah, because yeah. they weren't they weren't done making it. They they planned to yeah they weren't finish done some stuff up. Yeah, they weren't done editing, and now they can't. So uh, so it's too bad because I was really excited about it. Well, hopefully, maybe this will that maybe this is a timely thing for us to be doing then to yeah. like help help fill the gap for all of yeah. our thousands of listeners. <laughs> um. Uh. So oh the end okay here's another question that is probably a basic one. Mm-hmm. The only time they're in Fargo is that initial meeting. Right. Um, I had, I, in previous viewings, I thought that the cabin that they were at was in Fargo, Mm-mm. but it's actually in Moose Lake, which is closer to, it's closer to Brainerd. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I actually, so I watched the special features on the DVD, this interview that they went on the Charlie Rose show to do. And yeah. they essentially just said, we were thinking maybe about calling it Brainerd, but Fargo just kind of sounded better as a movie title. So <laughs> that's the other. Th- I mean, that's another Cohenism, right? Oh it's yeah, like, they don't like to explain shit. And and calling the movie uh, the place where they visited one time, and it's yeah. called Fargo, but it's actually primarily about Twin Cities and yeah, and Brainerd. Yeah. Like that's another thing. You you're either in on the joke, but if you're not mm-hmm. in on the joke. Right. Yeah, I could see somebody being just exasperated, being yeah, like, I, I don't what are they gonna, doing to me? Right, right, right. Yeah, they you could have the reaction of, oh, the Cohen brothers, that's 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 the movies where they just fuck with you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to like I enjoy like all of the little unravelings that would so it makes me want to watch this movie mm-hmm. again and again. Yep. Well, it's sort uh, of like go ahead. Uh, no, you go ahead. Well, it's sort of like the the parable of the goy's teeth in a serious man. <laughs> yes, that's sort of all Coen Brothers movies. Right? Yeah, it's it... like oh, he had Hebrew words written on his teeth, and it's like, well, what does it mean? Oh, I don't know. I mean, but I, I don't I'd know what it means. Be be good to people, I guess. It couldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I think there's something that resonates with me about that because. Oh yeah, me too. Absolutely. Because I feel like in life, we want things to have this gigantic significance. And right. things feel, if we want to, we can make them feel like they have a gigantic amount of significance. Right. But in the end, it's probably just, yeah, I don't know. So yep. you got you got married. Mm-hmm. Who happened yep. to be somebody you met five years ago or whatever. Right, like, right, right, I don't right. know. Exactly. It, it's, it have you seen have you are you are you familiar with this um Australian sort of comedic singer called Tim Minchin? Mm, sounds vaguely familiar, but no. He uh he's got this song. Um 
he's got this love song called something like, if I hadn't met you, I would have met somebody else. <laughs> Which is just sort of a, a it, it's, it, when you think, it's actually not an anti-romantic song. It's a very sweet song. It's really a sweet song because he talks about, it's like, hey, look, I met you and we like grew together and now we know each other really well. And I really love you because you, you know me really well. But let's not kid ourselves that like we were the only person in the world for each other. That's just statistically, that's just statistically <laughs> ridiculous. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that's, the, that's sort of the point of the song. And yeah. What, um, here's a, here's another sort of, I'm sort of bouncing all over the place. Here's another question. The TV series, let's say that the TV series didn't exist. Okay. And let's say that this movie has not been made yet. Okay. If they were to make this movie last mm. year when we could still interact with each other. Yes. Who's playing, um, who's playing Francis McDormand's character? It's a good question. It's got to be somebody who's a good character actor. Yep. Like and can and can do a bit, can w withhold like doing a bit for a while, right? Yep. Right. Um, what about uh, what's her name? Gilpin, Terry Betty, Gilpin, Betty Gilpin, Betty Gilpin. Yeah. Because she's she yeah. in Glow, she plays really over the top. I yeah. could see herself do. I could see her doing an accent for that long. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. Who do you think? Yeah. Who? So who would play Marge Gunderson if the movie was made mm -hmm. this year or last year? Yeah. It's a good question. Who else? Honestly. Honestly. And I know that this kind of violates the spirit of your question, but oh, the woman—the right. woman who plays the police officer in season three of Fargo, Carrie yeah, Coon, yeah, she did really good. And and th now that's maybe a little bit of a cheat, though, because of all of the characters in in all of the TV series of Fargo, that is the one that is most similar to Marge Gunderson, Gunderson mm -hmm. and it's very deliberately so. So Could, I, I don't know if a studio exec had a hold of it. Um, they would try to cast Margot Robbie. Ah! <laughs> right? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, like, they'd be like, okay, Margot Robbie's playing a... And, you know, I don't think she would do that bad, actually. I mean, Margot Robbie can do no, no wrong in my book. I mean, she, I think she's a really excellent actress. Did you see I, Tanya? Yeah, yeah. It was really great. good. Yeah. yeah, and that make and maybe that's what makes me think she could do a good Marge, because... Yeah. Um... I mean, it's kind. It, she's doing an accent the whole time. She's kind of over the top and kind of a caricature in that movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah, I could see that. No, who would play? Um, who would play the two? The two. Uh, well, wait. I'm skipping Jerry. I'm skipping Jerry. Who would play oh, Jerry? Man. Who would play Jerry Lundegaard? Oof. That's a good question too. I, I feel like lately there's less weirdo male actors. You know, I feel like. I feel like things are going more uh, like Tom Hiddleston than mm. than than Steve Buscemi, if that makes mm -hmm, sense. Like mm -hmm. we have less, just kind of like oddballs. Yeah, but maybe just, Tom. Maybe just what I said. Maybe Tom Hiddleston could do it. I'm trying to think. Like, uh, I'm just sort of like 
randomly looking at INDB to see if I can yeah. see, get ideas. Um, I don't know. I could honestly see somebody, I could honestly see maybe a more, tip, a, 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 an actor who's more typically comedic doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So the big, the big comedians now, who are they? Um, Seth Rogen? Oh, man. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that maybe. Would be, that'd be pretty funny. I mean, it wouldn't be the same. You no, know? yeah. But that could be pretty funny. It could be. Or, um, you, you know, go down the freaks and geeks list. Uh, James Franco. James Franco. That would be... Well, I mean, he's been... He's worked with the Coen brothers a couple times. So, yeah. or at least once. So... Yeah. Yeah, on um, on the the, the the Netflix one, Buster right? Buster Scruggs. Yeah, Buster Scruggs. Um, but what about what's the guy's name that was on How I Met Your Mother? That was also on Freaks and Geeks. Tall guy. I don't know. Yeah, you do. There's this actor. So there's this. We're watching what, Succession right now. You're skipping over my. You're skipping over my question. Linda, Card Linda Cardellini, Jane, John Francis Daly, James Franco, Sam Levine, Jason Siegel. Oh, Jason Siegel. That would be yeah. a weird take. It, I I yeah. don't think he's ever played. I don't think that would kind work. of a devious character. So that might actually be good. So there, we're watching this show Succession right now, which is this HBO show about this this media mogul and his family and um one of the characters in that show one of the actors in that show is this actor called matthew mcfaden um okay and he plays he plays a son-in-law that is he plays a man who's marrying the daughter of this family um and he is really really tremendous at playing somebody who um is very kind of out of his depth and and clearly is sort of in over his head trying to get in with this family. Um, and I feel like he would work really well in a Coen Brothers movie, and I could see him playing a, a Jerry Lundegaard kind of character. Yeah. Because and, the uh, the plot of Succession kind of involves him getting in over his head and, and sort of everything he does kind of accidentally buries himself deeper. Yeah. I. Um, what about where would... I Because of The Lighthouse, like I'm sort of oh, new new because of the lighthouse and because of good time that safety yeah. brothers movie i'm on the robert pattinson fan club i really like robert pattinson too i yeah. think he's really good yeah he could he could maybe do well after watching good time he could definitely do one of the crooks he could play buscemi's part i think yeah he would be good oh yeah that's actually a really good call right there yeah robert pattinson as buscemi's part would would work really yeah. well i think yeah yeah he'd be good at it um uh let's see. All right, well maybe enough maybe enough alternative casting. Man, the um, lighthouse that was I, this guy I know um who is this guy really nice guy, really like him a lot that I know um but is definitely not a person I would say, "Oh man, you should go see the lighthouse." Like I would not <laughs> choose to recommend that movie to him. He posted on Facebook. He's like, I just saw the weirdest movie I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. It's called the what? It's called the Lighthouse. And so I commented, "You're fond of me, lobster, ain't you?" <laughs> You're fond of me, lobster. Well, there. 
Okay, so um, I'm skipping subjects here. Um, the moment in this movie, when I first watched it, I watched it on, I think I must have rented it from Blockbuster or something back when it came out, and I was like freshman in college or something. Yeah. The moment that I realized that I was watching like uh, what I thought of at the time as like an artsy kind of movie, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. and and it gave me like this sinking feeling that was also good was the shot, the overhead crane shot of Jerry walking to his car yeah. in the snow in the parking lot. Yeah. I, that shot to me, if you were to say like, okay, you have to pick one shot from the movie. I think that's yeah. my one shot right there. Yeah. That's a good shot. Yeah. See, that's what I like about another thing that I've always liked about the Corn brothers movies is even though a lot of the dialogue can be very snappy, snappy, fast paced. I always feel like there's room to walk around in the film. Yeah. I, I can't remember where I heard this expression, but ever since I heard it, it has affected my, the way I view films ever. It's like, I want a movie to have a room to walk around in. Yeah. I want a movie that is slow enough paced that you can really kind of linger on being in the space of the film and not feel mm -hmm. like you're being pulled from scene to scene to scene. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like there are some movies where you feel like, at the end of each scene, someone is literally grabbing your hand and pulling you into the next scene. Yeah, average know, average shot length, yes, maybe? Is that, right. that, is that we're that, talking There's that. There's also, you know, how much how much time can be devoted to dialogue? With, I mean, how much time will be given over to scenes with no dialogue, you know? Uh, what I've noticed in, if you take like a, like a, a, like a Russo Brothers big old comic book movie or you take mm -hmm. like transformers or something the camera even if it doesn't need to move it's always sort of just like like slowly panning like or around somebody even if it's yep. just like these two people you know expositing things um and the coen brothers have that a bit in their scenes but they're also um happy to just have stationary shots of two people looking at a camera or whatever talking, you know? Yeah. Did you ever see the movie? Uh, uh, Which I think adds to what you're talking about. Yeah. The walking around. In. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go Did ahead. you ever see the movie Hunger? No. Steve McQueen about the Irish hunger strikers? No, but I, I've heard good things. It's good. Um, it's, it's a rough watch, but it is maybe the, the best example of that. Like there's this one scene where Bobby Sands as portrayed by um, what's his name? The guy you know who plays Magneto these days, um, yes, yeah, that guy. He uh, he's talking to a priest, and it's just the shot is just static. Him sitting here, the priest sitting there, and it goes on for like it's like a twelve minute conversation between. Them. Ooh, yeah, it's, man. it's really good. It um, makes you uncomfortable because it does. Like even in life, you know, when you're looking at a room or something, you're talking to somebody, your eyes move about like, your eyes are moving around. You're not right. just staring at you somebody. Don't, you don't hold someone's, hey! Jesus Christ. That was loud, huh? Yeah, I know, he's a little asshole. Come here, one second, I'll be right back. Yep. Humble, you asshole. 
Man, Cats. She was, like, she was down on her back and he was like biting her neck while she was. Cats. This is the interlude where Bill is dealing with his cats. And now, yeah. please, thank you for that brief intermission. Yes. We will now re regain our composure. <sighs> yeah, sorry. I don't think right. he actually hurts her, but he annoys the hell out of her. Two cats yeah, fighting. Two cats, two cats fighting. Um, also, they throw in these little things that don't have anything to do with the movie. I have the movie playing while we're watching this, and right. it's at the scene where Norm is asleep on on Margie's shoulder in bed. They have like a bag of old Dutch potato chips sitting there, and she's watching the, the insect video, just mm -hmm. sort of like spacing out. She goes, well, I think I'm going to turn in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then it fades out and fades yep. back into the phone call from um yep. what's the guy's name? Mikey Anagita. Mikey Nanagita. Yeah. Oh man. So <laughs> I used to so I, I only kind of realized the significance of that scene, the Mikey Anagita thing. It like it tells her that people can be lying to your face. Right? She's yeah. Like, she realizes that, oh, he just lied to my face, just like straight up and not, and like a really big lie too. It wasn't a small lie. It was a big fucking easily disproven yes. lie. And so that's why she's like, I need to go talk to this Jerry Lundegaard guy again. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's really true. And what was her, so they show her walking into the Radisson mm -hmm. when she's meeting Mikey, what is his name? Yeah, Mike Yanagita. Mike Yanagita. Yep. Not Mikey Anagita. No, Mike um, Yanagita. Mike Yanagita. So she's walking into the Radisson to meet him. And she sort of dressed up for it. And I was, was like, thinking about that too. But as soon, the minute that he sits on her side and puts his arm around her shoulder, She's like, no, I'm not having this. So maybe think, she was just excited to see a, a high school friend. What, yeah, what do you think? I think I think she's just excited to see a high school friend and just wanted to look nice. Just wanted to seem like she was, you know, happy and successful, right? Like if I was to go, if I knew that I was going to be around a bunch of people from high school I hadn't seen forever, I would probably make sure that I felt like, you know, good about my appearance, even if I, I wasn't trying to like score any points, you know. But but let me throw another another thing out there. When she says she's going to go down to the Twin Cities to mm -hmm. check it out, yeah. Norm oh, Norm was still asleep, but he heard that phone call. And when she says I'm going to the Twin Cities, he kind of gives her like a, oh, you are, huh? Yeah, he does have a bit of a surprise, huh? And and so I wonder if those two things are are connected or if he's just that has nothing to do with her like it could just be like a dude's jealousy right could be. like could be um yep one thing but, uh that on the uh, on this charlie rose show segment one thing francis mcdormand says is that um she was talking to uh her co-star who plays norm this his name is um i can't remember his name i think of him as the guy who plays the the uh Serial killer in uh, yes. Uh, what the hell is the name of that movie? The David Fincher movie. Um, um, um about the about the unsolved not, California serial killer. 
now that you're asking me, I can't remember. Yeah. It's not it's not seven. It is no, it's, um it's called Zodiac. Zodiac, Zodiac, yes. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. of him as John Lynch. That's his name. John Carroll Lynch. Anyway, he, she says that they were talking about their characters and what they kind of agreed was that he used to be a cop also, but wasn't good at it. Like they were maybe both cops oh. and they met on the force and he, she rose through the ranks and he didn't. And so he just is like, well, I'll just, I'm just going to quit and be an artist because that's what I'm better at anyway. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's obviously not in the text, but uh, that's how Francis McDormand sort of said that they felt like they were playing it. Yeah. The, the, to your earlier point about it being like the best relationship, how proud she is of Norm at the end when yep. he gets that three cent stamp. Yep. And how like, He's like, well, I wish it wasn't the 29 cent. She's like, that three cent is what people need in the time when they they raise the rates. Yep. Gosh, like, and then that speaks to her, her sort of outlook on life too. Right. Right. Her earnestness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And she, and, and that ties in with when she finally gets Peter Stormare and he's in the back of the prowler Mm -hmm. and she's kind of, she's kind of just like, why are you doing this? All those people dead, all for money, and it's a beautiful and it's a beautiful day, right? Yep. I see I you throwing. To, yep, I had to stop Humboldt from attacking poor Sage, but unfortunately, I threw the, a ukulele book, and it bounced off him, and then it kind of went over to where she was. So oh my I, god! He probably thought I was throwing it at her too. Oh boy, poor Sagey. Well, what are some what are some closing thoughts, Bill? Well, okay, I'd say top tier. Yeah, I'd say this is the dude's rug. Yeah, um, the dude's rug for sure. Back to our back to our previous rating system. The the dirty undies, the mentaculus, the ice scraper, and the dude's rug. You remembered all of them, huh? I'm pretty sure. I I think there were four. Uh. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, top tier du- for sure. Yeah, dude's rug for me. Also top top tier. I would. It's tough to say where the rankings are for me at this point. It's like. Lebowski, Fargo, Serious Man, No Country. Those are probably my top four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty solid top four. I don't know. I need to watch Buster Scruggs again. I There's part of me that wishes that it was just a regular movie. <laughs> Did I tell you what I think what I think they were doing with Buster Scruggs? And this no, is a total invention. I think. So they gave permission for FX to make that Fargo TV series, right? Yep. And then it was however long, you know, three three seasons worth and and however many episodes in each season, 30 hours or something like that, right? Right. And I feel like what they were doing is saying, if you want a Coen Brothers TV series, this is what it would actually be like. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's sort yeah, of like their their response to to TVs, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, yeah, no, I can see that. Like, and here's how much better we can do it than other people, right? Because right. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty good, pretty yep. pretty good. Did you watch that series that the Fargo guy did, the one that's vaguely X Men related with Dan Stevens? I, I tried to, but it was so hard to follow. I watched two or yeah, three episodes, and I it's not very good. It, it it was very hard for me to follow. It looked pretty. Mm-hmm. Like the, there was some neat 
um, scenes in it, but I I watched maybe two or three episodes and I was like, I just don't I don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah, there's so much TV on that. There's so much good TV shows to watch that it's hard to want to follow on that. We just watched um, True Detective season three. Oh yeah, and it was good, but man, I'm glad that we were able to binge it because it definitely was pretty slow. And if we had had to wait for it week by week by week, it I I don't know if we would have kept up. But because yeah. we were able to just watch it, we watched it. I'm uh, yeah. I need to go. I need to go back and check that out. I like. I I sort of am hate watching um, Westworld the uh, new season. Yeah. And um, I'm primarily watching it so that I can listen to the Decoding Westworld podcast. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Those, uh, the two of them, they did, uh, between the two of them, they've done Game of Thrones, Lost, Westworld, Breaking Bad. It's just like the, the two hosts of that show, Dave Chen and Joanna Robinson. Oh, yeah. They're very good at like um, not being, like pointing out when things are good, but also being very astute about when things are oh, not so good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good. I gotta listen to that uh, that uh, plot against America podcast. That one's really good too. Yeah. yeah. So. All, right. All right. Well, well we Big did Lebowski it. Next. Is it the Big Lebowski next? Oh Big man. Lebowski's next, and then uh, then it's uh, then it's uh, um, oh brother, where art thou? I think. Oh brother, where art thou? Yep. Lady Killers is going to be a little slump. Oof, and uh, intolerable cruelty. We got to do too. Intolerable cruelty. I've never, I've never seen the man who wasn't there all the way through. Oh, okay. I'm kind of looking. I haven't seen that one in ages, so I'm looking forward to to get into that one because I, it'll be interesting to sort of reevaluate. I think. Um, yeah. So. Did all you right. ever see? Uh, oh, yeah. No, we can save this for another time. All right. <laughs> That's the teaser. Well, no. I was going to ask you about something completely unrelated. Did you ever see this old movie from the from about '96 or '97 called Big Night? Where Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub are these two brothers that have. I Italian. watched it with you. You did? Yeah. Man. Yeah, like you told me about in, it, and when and we I got in Gainesville. Yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah, we were because we. I remember the the him cooking an egg scene, and I and I remember I was I was like, Bill, this cooking the egg scene is amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. That's a good movie. I've been one jonesing, shot. I've yeah. been jonesing to rewatch that movie. I don't think Emily's ever seen it. So that movie's great. Yeah, it's a good movie. All right, man. All right, until next time. Bye-bye. Say bye your apparatus. Bye. Yep. <laughs>